Welcome to Death and Aliens, an in-depth look at horror in sci-fi TV from two friends who vaguely know what they're doing. I'm MK. And I'm Courtney. And Courtney, how are you today? Just making it through. Just making it through. <laughs> um, I am exhausted and I have been for three days now. So yeah. I'm probably not sick. I'm probably just exhausted. But hopefully this is the last day of all of that. But... I am exhausted because I did so many things last week. <laughs> I went to Hades Town, which I, we already talked about. Then we we recorded, did, yeah. Yeah. And then I did something on Thursday. Don't remember what that was, but That's I did fine. something on Thursday. <laughs> and then... Um, I did nothing. Thursday oh, I remember. Since. It's not for public consumption. Oh, okay. Um, and then <laughs> it was the most exhausting day. And then Friday... I went to, well, first I went to a date with Noelle um, because she was supposed to have a coffee date and he couldn't make it before our two o'clock end of lunch. And she was like, well, I have plans with Courtney. We're going to a show, but I guess you can come have drinks with us. So then I had a date with Noelle and her date, who was nice enough. And he ended up waiting for everything. I didn't, I had Heineken Zero because I'm still dry January, January, killing it killing it which, which also but, i know this this looks like some kind of insane tonic it's literally just water with meal in it because i've decided i need to be more hydrated but i still fucking hate the taste of water so well it looks delicious um Thanks. but yeah i've decided that's how i'm gonna date now because i don't actually want to date because people will drive me insane so i'm just gonna go to dates with noelle let whoever she's with buy us everything and then i'm gonna just go home although i didn't go home i went to a show we went and saw make me gorgeous which is the story of Kenneth Marlowe, who then transitioned into Kate Marlowe, one of the earliest uh, transgender uh, people. And it, like the first three fourths of the show is about them as, as Kenneth Marlowe, they wrote like nine books. And then the last like 15 minutes is like they're, they're transitioning into Kate Marlowe. It was actually a really good story. It was, it was sad, but also funny, um, but very interesting. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, so I am uh, yeah, did a lot last week. Um, yeah. How are you? Um, I honestly don't know how I didn't throw myself into traffic um, this past weekend. Because as you all know, if you listened to the podcast on whatever day, Courtney and I spent 25 minutes talking about musicals instead of what <laughs> we talked about on this podcast. Um, I worked Girl from the North Country on Friday and Sunday. And I didn't love it. Um, I didn't hate it, but I, I didn't love it. But um, Girl from the North Country is fucking depressing. There's not a goddamn happy moment in that show. It sucks um, in terms of that. And um, for some reason, the theater keeps booking depressing shows in January as if the entire city of Buffalo doesn't have seasonal affective disorder. So, like, it's fucking dumb. Yeah. And it turned into one of my, my friend who's the head of props for the theater, her and I had a really long conversation where I realized that I know what my current hang up with theater is. I figured it out. Okay. And, and that is that New York is elitist. And I don't mean oh, that. For sure. I don't mean that in even like a really negative way about people who do art in New York. I think art 
is amazing no matter how it is. But like even that, like that story that you just said about what that play is about and how amazing that is, that wouldn't work outside of New York. And Mm -hmm. the problem is not the art itself. The problem is that the way that the producers and the money behind the art look down on middle America. New York City hates everybody outside of the city. They think we're all stupid. Mm-hmm. And so they bring these shows like Girl from the North Country and the recent tour of Oklahoma and all of this stuff. And they bring it to us as if to like tell us this is what your art should look like. And the average 50-year-old lady who buys tickets for her and her daughter to have a month, once a month date night at the theater is not fucking about it. Mm-hmm. When the Oklahoma tour came to the state of Oklahoma. The show started and the entire audience for every show, all eight shows of their run stood up and sang the song, which if you saw Oklahoma when it was in New York is not. Okay. Well, the, the cornbread and, and uh, chili production of Oklahoma that just happened was very focused on the darker elements of the show. To the point where they slowed down the music. So it wasn't what people think of when they think of the, like, movie. Mm-hmm. But the the 6,000 people in the audience who are from Oklahoma who sing that song every day of their lives are overpowering your orchestra. So they literally didn't know what to do. Like, the actors didn't know what to do. And to be fair, <laughs> that's not really the way to behave as an audience. I do not condone that. Sure. Absolutely. But it's, but it's the perfect example of why people aren't happy with theater outside of the city because I think that experimental art and good distinct storytelling and weird shit has a place, but the national touring house isn't it. And well, they only tour what makes money here too. And the experimental stuff isn't making money here. Right. But like Buffalo has an amazing local theater company. Like we we have like 15 professional theaters in the city oh i didn't realize it was that many it's so many and 15 is just a number i came up with off the top of my head if i actually sat down and think about it i think it's more i think we have more theater companies here like yeah and um i feel that like the national touring house like the big thing like shays what our job should be is to tour the concerts and the programs and the big things that are going to make the money so that we have the money to invest in the local theater that has a chance to be artistic and to be experimental. And I think that we need to stop forcing things like girl from the North country down people's throats. And it's not, it's not that the show is bad. It's just that it didn't work. We had like 300 people walk out at an intermission every night. Because because the show doesn't make sense. Because the show doesn't make sense. (laughs) And they were sold that it was a Bob Dylan musical. And that's not what it is. Because there was another Bob Dylan musical that actually was a Bob Dylan musical. This was just the music of Bob Dylan in the show. It was the music of Bob Dylan, but it wasn't even sung in the way Bob Dylan sings it. And if you know anything about theater, reimagined. Which, if you know anything about theater, which people who are buying season tickets of a subscriber series at a national touring house don't, you will know that Connor McPherson has wrote some of the most fucking dark, depressing shit that has ever been on stage. Like, I'm sorry, I had to read Dancing with Lunasa in college. Nothing that man does is going to make me happy. Like, that's that's not possible. And, um... (laughs) 
I'm just really very frustrated because I didn't get my season tickets back this year because I thought the season was dumb. But I realized it's because I'm the kind of person who wants to go to New York and see the weird shit. Mm -hmm. But that's not what our season is. And that's not what it should be either. And that's what I've come to realize. Well, and and it makes sense that you're saying like they should be able to fund these other you if you have a thousand theaters because yeah. I didn't yeah I didn't think Buffalo is that big but I don't know anything about it so <laughs> it's like a lot of theaters in one place yeah. um, but like we have so we have our mainstay we have the off Broadway we have off Broadway that does weird stuff too but like I was just looking at the theaters in Long Island. Yeah. And they do a lot of like education and they're the ones who are implementing the sensory performances and they're the ones that are, you know, mm. of course they're doing like, like they're doing like hair, but then yeah. they're doing like, see how they run part two. Right. I don't know what that is. I've only heard of see how they run part one, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like they do a lot of different stuff and they are able to implement all this stuff and people are going, but they're smaller theaters. And of course they're not, they're not trying to sell as many tickets. Yeah. And so and they're doing like curious incident of the dog in the nighttime and like and like we 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 just did curious incident um i've never seen it or read it it's fantastic we did it at one we did we did it at shays we did it at the smaller theater we did it at the place where that makes sense like Mm -hmm. we it's just i'm very because also like things like um girl from the north country and oklahoma and the band's visit and a lot of these things that are like that were phenomenal on broadway when they go on tours they're no longer correct because i mean no 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 no, not that because 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 touring houses are built to hold things like phantom and miss saigon you cannot yes. accurately understand the band's visit in a space that can hold Phantom. That's not fair to the show. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Girl from North wasn't phenomenal on Broadway. That was my counter. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. I was really, I was just really more thinking about the band's visit because I, I was so, I was so sad. I about haven't it. seen the band's visit. It was phenomenal. I loved it. Even on tour, I loved it. Um, but it did get eaten by the space. Yeah. Like we, my theater was redone to be one of the largest touring houses ever because when it was first built in the night in the 1920s, it wasn't obviously that big. And the first time it was a Phantom, concert hall, right? Right. The first time Phantom had a national tour, we said we need this, and we redid our entire backstage to accommodate Phantom. Our stage is massive. I was going to be there. The number. I, I'm pretty sure they, when I was thinking about having my wedding there, they cap your wedding at 500 people. That's how much <laughs> with tables on stage. No, that's too many people. It is. It is. <laughs> but like, it's not the place for these shows. And I am starting yeah, to- Yeah, it was the Belasco here. Yeah, I'm starting to become more- disenfranchised with the production of theater not theater and art but like the machine that it's become yeah and also like these tours sometimes even if they could fit the space one they're not there very long and so they don't take the time to fit the space they throw the show in there they do whatever needs to be done to do the show they don't spend the time to like yeah fill the space even if they could 
Um, but, but yeah, no, I get it. So, um, and then after working that depressing show, um, the bills, uh, did not beat the chiefs, um, which was so upsetting that I genuinely cried. But also on top of that, my mom was literally had one box between her and Taylor Swift's box and I wasn't there. What did your mom go talk to her? Of course not. My you mom didn't she even could have, she's very personable. My mom didn't even answer my text when I said, Mom, you're so close to her, and sent a picture of where she was sitting. Mom didn't even answer. Jason Kelsey jumped out of the window of his box and was running around with the fans in the bleachers. I would have been able to see that if from where I was in the box. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. So everything just sucked. This weekend was awful. I'm sad. Um, and then I had to watch this episode of Stargate, which was also like awful. And <laughs> that's how I felt yesterday when I was already not feeling great and had a bad weekend. And then I had to watch this Stargate. Also, am I? Can you hear me chewing loudly? No, I can't, um, which is good, right. but it's also, I don't think the same will be said if I continue eating. So it's like kind of upsetting because I just want more cheese. I'm so um, sorry. No, I it's fine. need the food. <laughs> um, you know what I need? I need some spiritual, spiritual guidance. guidance. Yes. I'll stop eating for that. Um. <laughs> In the end, she became more than what she expected. She became the journey. And like all journeys, she did not end. She just simply changed directions and kept going. R.M. Drake. I love that. Um, yeah. So today we are talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 5, Episode 5. It's called Red Sky. And it came out on July 27th, 2001. Um, we have the same song and movie. Nothing has changed there. Um, but the top book is now Seven Up by Janet Ivanovich, which we have talked about multiple of her books in this number series as and we've we been going this show. For the rest of time. Yeah, because there's a um, um, million of them. Um, on this day... The right now. <laughs> and right, and that's right now. So, like... For the entirety of the rest of the time mm -hmm. we talk about Stargate, which is until Courtney and I die, um, these will right. be the number one books. Um, the only news that I could find this day is to add to our theme of this being the most depressing episode. <laughs> um, it's the fact that Leon Wilk, the Leon Wilkson of um, Leonard Skinner died that day. It's a sad day. I remember yeah. that day. Yeah, it was very sad. Um, so... I have nothing good to tell you ever again, apparently. Um, uh, this episode was directed was by, by Sunday. The happy part of the podcast. <laughs> by Martin Wood and edited by Rick Martin. Those two did not change, but we do have a new writer. Ooh, that tracks. Um, it was written by Ronald Wilkerson, um, which, fun fact, not related to him at all, is what Titus's character's birth name is in Kimmy Schmidt. I didn't know that until I googled Ronald Wilkerson and that's what fucking came up. And I was like, not what I'm looking for. Interesting. Um, Chris Burgess is doing a show on Broadway right now, speaking of Broadway, or 
Maybe it was like a one night thing. It was like a duo mm-hmm. thing. I don't know if it's like okay. Well, this won't be the last time I talk about Broadway today. So, um, Ronald, yes, but Ronald Wilkerson was known for Stargate SG One, Star Trek: The Next Generation, and Star Trek Voyager. Um, he currently works as a professor at UCLA Extension, which I don't know if you know what that is, but UCLA Extension is an online program where you can just pay like $700 to just take classes with UCLA like film and professors and like take additional credits. You don't have to be a student at UCLA. Um, so he, he teaches a course called feature film and it's entirely online and it's $700. Um, this is an ad. This is an ad. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah. So like, I didn't know that this existed until I was looking him up, but I was I like, that's Right. I was like, I don't know if I want to take feature film, but like, I want to look at all the courses that they offer. I mean, yeah, but like, what if they have one about like television writing? That would be so great for this. Why not both? Mm, true. But I mean, I don't have more than $700 to just drop. So I got to figure out which one is the right one. I'm living in millionaire land. Oh, right, right, right. The imaginary land where we have the money to do any of the things right. we say we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but our guest star for this episode is Fred Applegate. He played Elrod. And he is known for the producers, Stargate and Spaced Invaders. Producers. I was trying to figure out, so I haven't seen the producers, but I've seen enough about the producers, enough scenes from the producers to recognize him. Yes. But he looks like, if you're looking at it like a silhouette very quickly, I thought he was like, cam from modern family except for i was like mm. he would not have looked like this 20 years ago because no. it's like today correct but. that's but um also he was in a movie called spaced invaders not space invaders spaced invaders i have no idea what it is but it was in his top three things um huh. he was in all of your stereotypical one-offs in 80s and 90s shows um like uh, basically everything that you could have like a one week character yeah. he did um, but more of his work in recent years is actually on Broadway. Um, his most recent appearance on Broadway was as the replacement for Mark Lambert as Uncle Patrick Con- Uncle Patrick Carney in The Ferryman um, until it closed in 2019, um, mm-hmm. which was very weird to me because I have a friend named Patrick Carney. And so that was just, I was like, what is happening? Um but um, he made his debut in the 1998 production of The Sound of Music, which was also the production that Laura Benanti made her Broadway debut in. Um, he originated um, the role of Igor in Young Frankenstein on Broadway. He was in the original Broadway cast of Sister Act and The Last Ship. I don't know The Last Ship. It was the Sting musical that was on in the early oh. 2000s. Yeah. So... We love to see Instead it. Instead of, um, what was the movie that was supposed to have Sting music? It was a Disney movie. Yeah, um, it was, it was... No, it wasn't. It was... Oh, God. It was supposed to be... Oh, it was The Emperor's New Groove, which was supposed That's to right. be... That's right. Yes, The Emperor's New Groove. Did you show me that video, or did Dan show me that? No, Dan showed me a video. Um, The Emperor's New Groove never had a script. <laughs> The Emperor's, New, the Emperor's New Groove was supposed <laughs> to be a musical that was mm-hmm. a kind of sequel to The Lion King, um, but with 
human characters um and sting was supposed to write the music all of I this is sting was supposed to write the music. all of this is confusing if you look up eartha kit um yzma sting music there is a video on youtube of her singing one of the songs before it got cut um but basically they decided that this was not going to function this movie was not going to work the way they wanted to and they changed their entire um idea the problem was McDonald's had already signed on for the release date for the toys and McDonald's was not going to budge on the release date for the toys. So they basically had two weeks to do this entire movie. <laughs> so they did. And of course, when you're working with people like John Goodman and David Spade and Eartha Kitt, you can a hundred percent, you can a hundred percent improvise a movie and it's fine. But right. because that happened, there is no official script. It never existed. <laughs> um, the only thing that exists at all is a bunch of random scraps of paper of notes from the writers that are stapled together and are in the Disney archive because that is the only thing that exists to even pretend <laughs> to be a script of the show. That's my favorite. Yeah. Um, but I was so like, then Sting I... got mad and wrote the last ship or did the music of the last ship. Something like that, I guess. It was like 20 years later, so probably not. But <laughs> um, yeah, but so into this episode that would have been better if Sting had written it. Um, although, to be fair, the music was actually really good in this episode. And normally I don't take note of the music. Like, I love the theme song. I always know when Jack and Sam's right. theme is in the background. I don't usually take particular note of the music. But in this episode, I did. So I was like, kudos to you that I genuinely felt something from your music. Um, I then I didn't pay attention to the music because the episode was too jarring in itself. And I was, <laughs> I had a hard time with it. Um, we start this episode with a violent crash landing on a planet. The most jarring scene I've ever seen in Stargate. At the beginning, <laughs> I literally had to restart the episode. So I was like, am I starting in the middle? Uh, you, I mean, the giant, ridiculous, like, weird Doctor Who wave through the um, the tunnel didn't tell you that that was the start of the episode? I just assumed I was wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, I assumed it was my brain and that they that I had done something wrong. Um, but when they crash land on this planet, it is very, very bright. And Jack is not happy about it. But it turns out that that planet is much closer to its sun than Earth. So that is why it's so bright. Um, we also find out that, um, in the beginning, there was more crash landings out of the gate, which if you remember in season one, it is true, but they had, um, previously fixed some of the diagnostics in the gate system, but they bypassed them to dial onto this gate, which is very subtly your first hint that something is fucking wrong. <laughs> Are you okay with your microphone? Yeah, it, it switched all of my headphones and my microphone, and so I just wasn't talking until I got it fixed again. Oh, got it. Cool. But it got really loose, and so it was sliding. Not, and not having it not a good time. Um, as they're trying to, uh, as they're exploring this planet, that um, in front of the gate is just like piles and piles of like offerings. Um, Daniel finds runes carved into one of the stones um, and says that it's similar to the language on Sumeria. So this planet may have something to do with the Asgard. 
but they assume that it is one of the planets that's protected by the Gold Asgard Treaty because there is no like Thor's hammer or any kind of device that could hurt Teal when yeah. they get there. Um, they meet Elred, who is the leader of the people, and we learn that the planet is called Katow, which is not Kachow, but it would have been way better. It is than not. That. <laughs> yes. So it's all I could think about the whole time. Um, and he welcomes them um, a little trepidatiously at first, um, but then he finds out that they're friends with Thor and he is thrilled because no one from the gods has ever visited them before. And um, they worship, we find out that they worship Freyr on this uh, planet. And um, Freyr is the Norse god of the sun and the rain. Um Ara takes them to the village, and then another villager who also appears to be some kind of leader as well, Malchus, um, is less than thrilled and has decided Understatement. that. Right. <laughs> and he and he's like, um, people aren't gonna be happy that they're here. And Alred's like, why? Because you're gonna rile them up and like make them unhappy. And he just gets huffy and storms off. Um and he's like, I'm going to make the village agree to send them away. And then um, we find out that in Norse mythology, the gods don't send like servants to the people to help them. They send elves. And so Elred continues to refer to SG-1 as the elves that have come to talk to them. Um, and that we find out that elves are can either bring entirely good or entirely bad tidings. And it just depends on what the people have done for the gods. Um, when all of a sudden, the sky turns red. Um, Red's, uh, what's the sailor's warning? About the color of the sky and the sun and the storm, but I don't fucking know because I've never been on a boat. That's not true. I have been on a boat, just never sailed one. It's like red sky, um, night sailors delight. Red sky morning, um, sailors morning or something. That sounds correct. Um, it's red sky and morning, so it was morning. Bad, it was a bad time. Um, the Katow are freaked out, and they are like, "Like, oh my god, what's happening?" And Malchus immediately is like, "You did this," and Jack's like, "No, I didn't." Hey, did I? I don't he. Know. Hates Jack. He hates Jack. Like I, I've never seen somebody hate someone so quickly. Especially like because Jack didn't like even really do it. Like Jack's been a lot worse for a lot of people. A lot of people uh -huh. than to like this guy. Yeah. Um. And Sam cannot confirm or deny if they actually did do something to cause it. Um. And of course, um, Malcolm just decides that this. Did your light just die? Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. I'm sorry. What just happened? Um, Malchus just decides that this means that these particular elves are the harbingers of doom and that they're all going to die. Yeah. And then we get the credits. Way to jump to conclusions. <laughs> um, I mean, if the sky just randomly in the middle of the day turned red and a stranger I had never met before showed up, I would also probably think they had something to do with it. I mean, but like, if you know, I guess at this point, they don't know if they're humans or aliens still, because if they're humans, like, 
humans didn't do this they can't they don't have that kind of power yeah, but, but if they're another they, alien group you know but they don't they think they're elves they oh, think right. they're they think they're magic elves and magic elves could totally do this yeah um although magic elves don't exist so i mean who's to say i guess that's true um after the credits, um, all of the people decide to go to the Hall of Wisdom to pray to Freyr for forgiveness for whatever it is that they did that is going to cause them to die now. Um, and um, Sam does some calculations on her little mini science pad and um, finds out that the light spectrum of the sky has changed to entirely infrared. And that means that eventually all of the plants will die. And then obviously that means all of the people will die too. Yep. Um, and, uh, Sam wants to go back to the MELP to get more data because she thinks it has better sensors than her little handheld device. Um, like so Jack, probably. yeah. So Jack sends her and Teal'c to take care of that while he and Daniel go to the church, um, to see if they have any way to communicate with the Asgard because this is a problem. Um, they enter the temple and ask if they can um, join Alrad and Malchus in the Hall of Wisdom to speak directly to Freyr. And um, Alrad is like, of course you can, and um, which only further <laughs> upsets Malchus. Um, and they use a fancy mirror to like zap them into this hall. And they, com they come before what we know, because we watched season two of Stargate, is a hologram yes. of Freya. And the hologram gives them the standard pre-recorded hologram message, which is super cryptic and vague about facing their fears and proving they are worthy in battle and making... And it convinces Malchus that this is, in fact, Ragnarok and um, we're all dying. Right. And also, like, 0% helpful. Like, I don't know why you're listening to anything it says. Like, it's not helpful. Also, um, they don't seem to be unfamiliar with this room or how to enter it. So are they telling me that they've heard him say the exact same thing? Because it is a recorded message. They've heard right. him say the exact same thing how many times and haven't figured out that it's not a person? Yeah, no, it's... Okay, no. Um, so they're also stupid. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, they're very it, isolated into their little world. Yeah, but like you can be isolated and not be dumb. Yeah, but they're not. Yeah. Um, so they get back to the temple and Malchus tells the people that it is indeed Ragnarok and they need to prepare for their death and everything's over. And Jack's like, okay, hold up no they're like are you saying that the gods are wrong and i was like no he said no i'm just saying that your interpretation of them is incorrect which again now we are at three times that jack has unnecessarily and unreasonably pissed malchus off to um whatever the first but two also times like the, the first two times he really didn't do anything panic yeah the first two times he really didn't do anything. This time he kind of just like went for this guy's entire job. So, um, well, if you stuck to your job, somebody's coming after it. I'm just saying. I have thoughts about that, but I will not say out loud because 
Um, then um, he basically asks the people, like, do you do anything? Or does the God do it for you? They're like, well, no. He was like, you plant crops? They're like, yeah. He's like, you harvest your crops? And they're like, yeah. They're like, you build your houses? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, so you have free will? They're like, well, yeah. And he's like, so why does that stop now? This feels like the exact same place as the 100-day place. Similar, yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of, like, their their vibe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, Daniel's like, but in the 100-day place, it wasn't quite so religious it was just like way of life and they didn't understand that's true yeah this is like religious zealotry Mm -hmm. um and daniel is like i really don't feel like we should be getting involved jack's like i don't think we can be uninvolved at this current moment um so malchus and alred begin fighting over like whether or not sg1 has any idea what they're talking about and like malchus and his contingent leave super angrily and Alred tells Jack that, like, he has faith in Freyr and whatever that means for his fate. And that if Jack is really there as a messenger from the gods, he will put his trust in Jack. And Jack's like, yeah, well, we can do miracles. So it'll be great. But also, yeah. like, th- I understand faith, how that works. I get yeah. it. But, like, you have faith in this Freyr guy, but he didn't tell you to have faith in Jack. This guy just, like, walked in out of nowhere. And you're just like, yep, we will totally follow you also because you say that you are from these people. Like, he did put a lot of faith in Jack really fast. I mean, isn't that kind of how all cults work, though? Like, yes. And, yes. like, even 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 some things that aren't really technically cults, but, like, I mean, think about the entire mm-hmm. Mormon church exists because people believed Joseph Smith when he said that God sent him a message. Mm-hmm. If you right, want to think of don't do that. But if you want to think about it that way, really, the whole Christian church exists because Jesus said God sent me to down here mm-hmm. as your son. So, like, I don't completely fault that. I mean, so far Jack has done nothing to prove that he actually has any real right. existence, except for that he like knew Thor's name. Um, yeah, but like, who doesn't? Right. So, I'm. I'm not saying they're wrong and Alred is being cautiously optimistic he's like not saying that he's gonna like let jack do something that goes against what he believes the gods like Freyr's wishes are but he's like if if he's like if that's really why you're here then i will trust you i'm not gonna push back against that but at the end of the day like his will is his will and so like like it is right to follow jack he is the smarter one to follow well the team maybe not just jack (laughs) yeah but But i mean but we know that. But if somebody showed up in a military uniform you'd never seen before to your village and just said, I know things you don't know, you wouldn't assume that that's the smarter thing to do. No, absolutely not. I would probably be more like Mal- Malicus. Is that his name? Malicus? Malicus. I, um, I wouldn't. But I also wouldn't be like Alred. Like I don't know. There's there's got to be an in between. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there. Well, is. And here's and here's how you know there's an in between. <laughs> you know, here's how you know there's an in between. Not one fucking woman spoke in that village. Yeah, there was the guy who was cautiously optimistic and believing everything anybody told him was the correct thing, and there was the mm-hmm. guy who was like, "I hate everyone. Fuck you. The government is a conspiracy theory. That's it." 
There was no woman who was like, how do we know that right. you know? Like, like, you say this, but how do we know that you, like, it is actually true? Like, we talked to Freyra, and he just yeah. kept saying the same thing over and over, so he never said anything about you. Yeah. Um, basically, your society is doomed unless you have a woman somewhere in a council of a voice of some kind. That's what yes, we're learning. Correct. Um, that's what we've learned from this episode. Um <laughs> And that's it. But, um, but um, so Jack goes to check with Sam and says that unfortunately, um, she has figured out that the shift in the sunlight is in fact their fault. Because they bypassed the protocols when they went here, and they may or may not have had a wormhole go directly through the sun and accidentally deposit some plutonium into the sun and completely change the atomic makeup of the sun. Which isn't ideal. No, it's not. It um, sounds like worst case scenario. It, it does. And then <laughs> it gets worse. It gets worse yeah. because then when Jack says, so how do we fix it? Um, they don't is the answer. Yeah. So we're 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 thriving right now. Um, Jack, Sam, and Daniel go back to the Hall of Wisdom, and the only reason they leave Teal'c out of this is um, because they do not know if um, the device will be uh, like gold proof. So it's yeah. not like a yeah. we can do this without you. It's a we don't need another Thor's hammer situation. Um, so they go absolutely not. And they get down there and they power down the hologram and bring Frager down to the planet. And they explain their situation and Frager's like, well, sucks to suck, not our job to clean up your mess. Like, don't you know that Jack is Thor's best friend? Like, uh, well, no, he does because he says, oh, you're the one they call O'Neill. We named a ship after you. That didn't last long. Right, right. But like, maybe a little uh, more respect. Like, and Jack is the fifth race. And they're like, they're like, well, the people of Katow, like, they need you. You're their god. And he's like, only from the Gaul. I don't have to protect them for everything. Jack's like, we helped you with the replicators. We are asking for your help. These are your people that you have protected. This does not feel mm -hmm. like I should be begging for this. And Freyre says, honestly, um, your thought your words are compelling but at the end of the day i don't even get to make this decision um so i'm gonna have to take this to the high council and jack's like how about you let me take this to the high council and Frey's like fine whatever he seems a little uncompassionate yeah um, he's just like so like uh like laissez-faire about everything he just yeah. like doesn't care um i mean we do come to realize that there is more to the story right but in this moment, it's like, you are not Thor. <laughs> That's exactly how I felt the whole episode. Um, yeah. So um, they go. Jack goes to the High Council and he speaks to them and they like refuse to help at all. And first Jack's like, but like, these are your people. And they're like, you made the mistake. And he's like, well, first of all, you could have told us that the protocols in the dialing system existed for a reason. You also could have told us which planets are on the protected list and don't need to be explored for data. 
Right. And the high counselor goes, you are correct on both accounts. And that is on us. We're still not helping. Yeah. He's like, yeah, we could have. (laughs) Yeah. And so Jack's like, okay, well, let me try apologizing. And then they're like, we understand. But no. So then Jack goes off and he's like, we saved your asses. I don't understand why you cannot do this. And they still keep saying no. And Jack's like, can you at least give me the courtesy of explaining to me why the answer is no? Because you just keep saying no. And I have given you multiple reasons that you have even admitted are good reasons. Give me an explanation. So they... It's fair. Which was fair. And they agreed that it was fair because we know... We know that the Asgards are not unreasonable. It feels very much like it at this moment, mm-hmm. but we and have seen that this is not in true. Practice. In mm-hmm. practice, we know that that's not true. So they do, in fact, give Jack the explanation. And it turns out that part of the Gold Asgard Treaty is that they can protect the people of these planets, but they cannot help them advance technologically to the point where they would be able to stop the Gold themselves. If they do it on their own, they do it on their own, but the Asgard cannot be involved in that. And the way the treaty is worded is that any technological help from the Asgard outside of just protection can result in the entire treaty being nullified. Um, which would leave every single planet open to invasion, including Earth. Yeah. And it's not just that that is a bad thing, because that's already (laughs) They also are so damaged and caught up in the replicator war that they don't have the ability to lose or to like designate ships to protect the planets until they can reestablish a treaty. Like that's, that's the reason the treaty exists in the first place is because they're not currently able to do that. So um, Jack's like, well, shit. Jack's like, that's okay. You can, you can break the treaty. And they're like, that is all well and good. <laughs> And you can speak for your planet. You can't speak for the other planets. That's not fair. Right. And which is true. Jack's like, okay, fine. That one well. And unfortunately, they're like, we can't stop you from attempting to remedy the situation on your own. We can't, we won't tell you to just let them die. We do feel bad. We are not happy about this decision. But in a term, in terms of military strategicness and and the long term goal, one planet of humans, while a devastating loss, is acceptable if it means that all of the other protected planets stay protected and we don't lose anyone else and we don't lose the upper hand on the gold, which is all correct. Yes. Upsetting, but correct. Right. So um they are now on their own to solve this problem. 
So Sam thinks that there is a possible solution. And that possible solution would be to have another super heavy element, which does not exist in nature. Um, and basically insert it into the sun to connect to the plutonium and render it inert, restoring the balance of the atomic makeup of the sun. So Jack's like, fine, go back to that SGC and figure that out because I don't know what the fuck you just said to me. She literally said, go confuse Hammond. Yeah, he's like, going back to SGC and confuse Hammond. And I just lost it. I laughed. Um, so Sam does, she goes back and she explains everything to Hammond and, um, Hammond, she's like, I need a rocket. And Hammond's like, where the fuck do you think I'm going to get a rocket? <laughs> and she's like, well, I know that the Air Force has one at Vanguard. And he goes, do you understand how much time and money has been spent in getting this rocket? And she goes, but like, there's a whole planet of people. She gets the rocket. Um, and... <laughs> She brings it back. Yeah, she brings it back to Katow and starts um getting to work and everything. And then we see that Malchus is like more and more annoyed every single day that SG One is still there. He's like not having it. Um, and then we're still working on this plan to send this element into the sun, and the element that has been made. Um, they basically convinced this um. Like, I don't know. What is the name of the kind of scientist that, like, does the shit where they make elements? I don't fucking know. But whatever that guy is. Um, oh, they convinced scientists. Chemistry? I, yeah, that's why I was, like, I was trying to think. I was, like, well, Marie Curie was a chemist. So, like, maybe it's chemist. Yeah. But that feels, like, that feels, like, bordering on, like, dark matter and astrophysics. And so I don't fucking know. Yeah. Somebody. Hmm. Some kind of scientist who knows more than I will ever know in my entire life. Um, and they finally convince him to give up the element that he made in exchange for getting to look at SGC. And um, then Sam and Hammond decide that they're, they will additionally also name the element after him as like a gift for his hard work which like it's nice like that's yeah. what they do in like regular life yeah so that was great i was all well and good that scene felt fucking ridiculously out of place in the episode um i hated it i loved it because it was sweet and it gave me the warm and fuzzies and it was like a really nice like moment it also was so beyond unnecessary in the episode <laughs> Yeah, I had a, I just had a really hard time following this episode. And I don't know if it was the episode or if it was me. It was probably mostly you. Um, I don't think the episode was that super... I don't think the episode was super disconjointed. I do think that there was occasionally moments that did not make sense. Um, but I think that it was probably more you because it was a rough day for you when you watched it. I was very tired when I was watching it. And I, <laughs> but like, there were things I was like, what's happening now? Why are we doing this? Yeah. Who is this guy? Like, well, to be fair, to be fair, a lot of the one confusing thing that I will say is a lot of the plans that Sam had. First of all, they had a lot of science speak in this episode, like and more than normal. So behind. And yeah. a lot of the plans that they had they like jumped into them midway through and then kind of like expected you to just be mm -hmm. like, Oh, cool. They're doing science that I don't know. 
Um, Maybe that's why. And then I like would get stuck behind on that. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So then Sam brings the McLarium to the planet. Everything's about to be ready. They're going to set it up in the rocket. They have enough time. Everything's all well and good. And then all of a sudden the rocket prematurely explodes. Eek. Turns out that Malchus set a fire and um, that fire killed four men, two members of SG-6 and two members of the village. And um, it doomed the entire planet, basically, because now they do not have a plan that's going to work. And Jack loses his goddamn mind and beats the shit out of Malchus. <laughs> and Dan goes, I'm not going to lie, I'd do the same thing. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, mm. Not the worst yeah. time we've beat someone up. Right. Um, Alrad is finally the one to, like, get Jack to walk away. And um, Alrad is, like, in his most, like, true pastor thing. It's like, I understand that this is upsetting and we need to know what to do next. And I hate all of this, but more death serves no one. And Jack is literally is like, more death is all that you have. And storms out of the village. Which, like, also, is it wrong, but maybe not the time and place to say it. Is it, like, next level overdramatic? Just a bit. Absolutely. Um, It's not wrong. It's just not right. (laughs) It's not the time and place. It's not the time Um, and place, Jack. So the rest of the team finally chases after Jack and, like, calms him down and, like, enough to just have a conversation with them. And he's like, what do we even do? Like, at this point, there is nothing else to do. And Daniel's like, at least let's give them the chance of relocation. Like, let's ask them. And Tilk's like, I don't know if that's going to work. Like, they have strong ties to the planet. And Daniel's like, you're right, but it's not up to us to decide that for them. Let's at least give them the facts and give them the option. Um, and Sam's like, let me, you guys work on that and let me go back to the SGC and see if I can run a few more tests. There may mm-hmm. still be hope. Great. Which, like, was a little surprising that Daniel was the most reasonable one. Because I feel like we were just talking last week about him being the emotional one. <laughs> and then this week he was, like, just straight logic. He was like, this is good for them. This is what we have to do. This yes. is the only proper way to handle this. Which is true. And sometimes Daniel is that. Um, because Daniel mm-hmm. is the most likely to understand people. Yeah. Um, Jack, as we have seen before in many, many different versions, has a very hard time understanding anyone using religion over logic. And I think this is just conjecture on my part. Um, I think anyone who loses their child and doesn't have an outlet like anyone who loses a child has one of two directions that they're they go they either go so deep into their faith as a coping mechanism or they reject all ideas of faith like those are really the only things that happen when yeah. you lose a child that young and i think obviously jack as we have seen is much more in the reject all ideas of faith especially when he sees what it does to the communities that believe that the gold are gods. He like cannot fathom it. And we've seen that time and time again. And so now he's dealing with the people who refuse to listen to reason because of it. And because of their refusal to listen to reason, he has lost men. So he's no longer at the ability to have logic. And Sam has spent months now 
because we we see we're at least we're at least three weeks later. Yeah. Um. So Sam spent like a month now attempting to solve this, and it all was blown up in a second. So it didn't save the planet, and it wasted all of the Air Force's money. So she's not in a place to be reasonable. And Teal has spent the last four weeks being looked at funny because they think he's still part of the the people who are going to kill them. Yeah. So Daniel's the only one who has an opportunity to be reasonable. That's fair. That's fair. Um, um, so Daniel tries to talk to them. He goes to the church. He tells everybody everything. And um, Alrad is literally like, it's okay. We will face our fate bravely. Which so sounds Jack, very culty. That's when the cultiness comes in. Yeah. And Jack goes rogue. And he's like, I can't do this. They deserve to know the truth. And Daniel's like, they've literally told you, you can't tell them the truth. And he goes, they're gonna fucking die. Like, it's the truth or nothing at this point. Asgard already said they're not helping us. So he's like, um, hey guys, your god is not a god. He's a little gray alien who doesn't give a shit about you. Yeah. And Alrad is like, I'm going to ask you to leave now. So Jack's like, fine. I gave him a choice. They didn't want it. I'm out. Okay, but you were a little, uh, <sighs> not, maybe, maybe be a little bit easier in your choice options, not be as like in their face about like, you worship a great man that you don't even know. Because who's going to believe that? Um, Pastafarians might. Well, these are not those people. Yeah. Those are the ones who believe in the flying spaghetti monster, right? Oh, I don't know. But I'm familiar with that ideation. I just don't know who it belongs to. I think it's the Pastafarians. Yeah, not the Rastafarians, the Pastafarians. I think that's what they're called. There's really someone called that? Yeah. That's wild. I mean, I know the Rastafarians that I've heard of. I don't know enough about it, but I do know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but. not. It's not a real religion. So the past, <laughs> the Pastafarianism is a parody of religion, um, mm -hmm. where they um, follow the flying spaghetti monster. Um, it started in two thousand five in a letter that was satire. Um, and but they often get used as like anti-religion in the sense that they're like how you can't prove that your god's real any more than you can prove that mine's not I see. Which, yeah um so there's that um sam has one last idea though and she wants to test this idea um, and it may work. And her idea is that they're going to send the element through the Stargate and then just like close the Stargate midstream. Yeah. Also, I like how excited she gets when she's like, we have one person now because it was what, one in a thousand before or something? It was one in a million. It was one in, one a, in million, a million. And now it's one and in she's a hundred. Like, right. She's like, we're at one person. And the way that like Jack and Hammond look at her, like that's Jack's, so really Jack's low. comment when he goes, um, "General, it's up to you because I only stand, understand her one percent of half <laughs> of the time." 
Yeah. Um, and he's like, okay, tell me again. <laughs> so she explains it again. And Jack is so fucking proud of himself because he understands something. He's like, we can't do that because, excuse me, teacher, teacher, Um, when you send something to the Stargate and then you close the Stargate, it doesn't rematerialize. I know that. I got that one. She's like, you're cracked. He's like, (laughs) and she's like, well, what happens is it's not that it doesn't materialize. It's that it reverts to its base form, which is like the molecule level. So for a human being, not ideal. But when you're sending just an element, that's okay. That's what you want it to revert to anyway. It does make sense. Yeah. And he's like, Okay, I get it. I, I this I do actually get it now. Makes sense. <laughs> um, so they do it, and then they go back to Katal, and it seems that it didn't work. The sky is still red, and um, they meet back up with Daniel and uh, Tilk, who have been there the whole time, and they were there. They were allowed to stay there as long as they didn't try to convince anybody to leave again. And um, Daniel is like, they at least deserve to know that it didn't work. So he goes to talk to them and he's like, it didn't work. Unfortunately, like this is it. The sky will stay red and um, we can't help you anymore. And we're really sorry, but it's time to leave. And um, because Jack, of course, knows all, not Jack, Daniel knows all the Norse prayers and all that stuff. Because mm-hmm. it's one of the few times it seems like his job actually, it's, I don't know what his job is. I mean, he's a linguist. But he's not really. He's really more of an he's archaeologist. Right. Yeah. Um, they they don't really know what the difference is. Yes, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Um, and you can be like you can be an archaeologist who focuses on linguistics. Fine, but the study of ancient cultures is not linguistics. Like, let we'll just be right. clear about that. Um. <laughs> um so he finishes the prayer for them and there's like a really sad beautiful moment and then he starts to turn away and you genuinely think that this episode is gonna die is gonna end just knowing that this whole planet full of people is gonna die and i forgot that it didn't and so i was like (laughs) i was like this is fucking bleak man um yeah but then the sky lights up and everything's good and um sam is like um, guys, I don't think that was us. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't do that. Um. So it turns out what probably happened is that they released this element and it didn't quite land in the sun, and so the Asgards kind of gave it love tap in place. Oh, mm-hmm. And um, Jack's like, you know what? Like, I think that like. By us doing being the ones to actually do it and them just kind of like helping, they didn't break their treaty because they didn't give us any technology or anything. And he is like, that's their way of like saving face. Um, and Sam's like, I don't know what it is, but yay. Yeah, I'm I'm uncertain if that's true. And I'm a little concerned. That's fair. That it's not that they've done something wrong. Yeah. I don't. 
Well, like not wrong. They what they did was right. I'm glad they saved this planet. Yeah, but, no, like, but but wrong in the sense that like and yeah, like and I didn't really like this episode. Just in yeah. general, one my fave. Oh, but I, I forgot feel like to it write. Has, I literally forgot to write the rating down when I wrote all my details about it the other day. So I didn't even tell you if anybody else liked it. Did anybody else like it? I'm gonna find out right now. Oh, great. Um, um, oh, what am I doing? I already have the IMDb open in the background because I needed the trivia. Um, it was rated 7.1. 7. 7. 7. <laughs> Look how close I was. Yeah. Ugh. Nailed it. Knows it. I would yeah. have given it maybe a 7.2. So I'm glad they gave it a 7.2. Yeah. So yeah. N- other people also felt kind of mid about it as well. I think that the it's cool to see a bunch of different Asgards. It was, I'm really glad that Jack stopped himself before saying you all look alike. Um, that was nice that he did stop himself. Well, um, I also think it was probably important to know that that's a very specific thing in the treaty that they can't break. So Correct. that, like, moving forward, we know now how this works. Yeah. Um, But then it also sets us up for failure, whether it's now, which, like, the way you described it, probably not. They probably did have a loophole. They probably are okay. Yeah. But that means that it's definitely going to happen in another episode where, like, one of them, probably Thor, because him and Jack are besties, is going to come out, do a lot of help that they're not, that he's not allowed to do. And mess up the whole treaty and everyone's going to die. Yeah. Um, Literally, the last episode title was Only Happy Endings and No Death. And all we've done is talk about sad things today. Yeah, which is really funny. Um, It actually has something to do with one of the notes that I'm going to share when we get there. Um, But before I share some trivia and notes, um, do you have any predictions, questions, concerns, final comments? Um, that's my predictions and concerns, I think, is that we have messed up. And if we haven't, we are definitely going to find a way to mess up. Um, and it's probably going to be on Thor, even though he's, like, top dog. But, like, I think he's going to, like, you get emotional with Jack. And it's going to be to everyone in the world's detriment. Um. Yeah. That's fair. Um, so I do, I don't have any, um, trivia uh, from IMDb. I have, um, some factual errors on IMDb and, um, so any second generation, second or later generation star, which means any star that did not immediately form at the big bang contains varying traces of heavy elements stemming from supernova remnants, blah, 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 a bunch of science stuff. Basically, um, no amount of plutonium that is small enough that it could be set off by one rocket payload of heavy metal is capable of changing the atomic makeup of a star. That is very fanciful and not not actually scientifically accurate in any way shape or form and the sun's a big one yeah like it's not like a baby star right 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 right. so So that makes sense yeah um also um 
Plutonium has an atomic weight of 244. So when Sam said that she needs a heavy metal that is um, heavier than 200, that's actually inaccurate. It has to be heavier than 244 because there are plenty of naturally occurring elements that are heavy metals that are have atomic numbers of higher than 200. Um, so those are the factual errors. I do, however, have some trivia that I did not get from... Uh, IMDb because I decided to look elsewhere. Um, I have some production notes that come from various interviews of other kinds. Um, so um, Joseph Malosi, who obviously we know is a writer and producer on the show. I was going to call him Malazzi. No, it's an O. I, um, I just want But to. he wrote on a blog, on a post on his blog, that... Um, he said, Ron Wilkerson's first and best script is a terrific sci-fi tale anchored by one of Richard Dean Anderson's greatest performance. It's a darker side of Jack O'Neill we rarely get to see, angry, intense, and deadly serious. This all episode also offers up a side of Carter we rarely glimpse as well, fallible and wrestling with self-doubt. And I think that we just talked about how we don't really love the script per se, but I think that in that case, it is is interesting because we're seeing two sides of these characters that we haven't gotten to see a lot and i do appreciate that yeah i i do appreciate that but i wish it would have been a little more overt if they were gonna make it that way it was like i felt a little more subtle like i get it because we do see sam mm -hmm. struggle with her like science and stuff but i feel like it's not the first time we've seen her struggle with science yeah but, like so if they would have gone into the self-doubt a little bit more, like made it a little more obvious. And like with Jack, we've seen him kind of go back and forth a bit. And uh, he obviously did go a little darker when he like lost it in front of everyone in this episode. Mm -hmm. But yeah. again, it almost was like he was throwing a tantrum as opposed to like really leaning into that darker side. And so like, I agree that those elements were, embedded in this episode which is nice yeah but i think it's strong to say it's best of anything well we also haven't seen any of his other episodes yet so maybe it well, is his best i hope it's not um i hope we only go up from here <laughs> um brad wright obviously an executive producer we've talked about brad wright um he in an interview for cult times magazine said that um this episode um the irony of this episode is that the people we're working with don't even want our help and they even fight against us and it's interesting because it's left to daniel to suggest that maybe there's more to their faith than we can conceive um we had and he said we had a fantastic time shooting this one because it's all done in period costume and it just looks spectacular oh that's fun that is yeah fun. yeah um and i like to guess like i really liked elrod as like a yeah and I, I liked Malchus too. I liked the acting for Malchus well, as well. I don't acting, like the character. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um we um also um executive producer Michael Greenberg, who we haven't talked about because we don't really talk about a lot of this, the executive producers who don't work on the other aspects, but um he had an interview in July of 2001 in TV Zone special, um, where he was talking about the fact that um they had to create the environment. Um with a set that progressed from blue to red and you can't do that with just filters so they didn't shoot on location for this episode they ended up building the entire homage village as an exterior set on a sound stage so that they could have com complete control of the lighting 
And um, they did do some live action footage on location, just using filters and some trick photography. And then they had to like use what's known as a bleached bypass um, to like fix the color, which is why visually the show, he says visually Red Sky is a beautiful show to watch. I struggled like both Brad Wright and Michael Greenberg are talking about how like visually stunning this episode is and I struggled a lot with that because I think that that might have been true in 2001 yeah um I think it was fascinating what they did I think that it was so well done how consistent the filters were and how very obvious it was when they were not on the planet anymore um but I I don't know that I would call it visually beautiful yeah, um, and I mean, the sky is nice and all that, but, like, yeah, it's nothing to write home about. Yeah. Um, And then the last thing I want to share is also um, I'm going to edit this one as I'm reading it a little bit um, because there are some, not spoilers per se, but some stuff that are spoilery, um, that this was in that same article from TV's own special, um, and this was Robert C. Cooper, executive producer as well, who said these things... Um, And he said that one of the things we're doing now, more of now than we ever did in the past, is deal with some darker aspects of storytelling. In season five, there are going to be some shows where I don't think you're going to believe the endings. Um, Red Star, and then he mentions another episode that we haven't gotten to yet, embody very much the Stargate philosophy, which is we are not perfect. We're humans from the year 2001 who make mistakes and get into situations that can't be solved by snapping your fingers or reversing the polarity of a device on your spaceship. Um, our heroes go ahead and poke their noses into things. They do their best to help and f- or fix a problem, but they're not always successful. If you knew things were always going to work out, you couldn't wait around for the end of the story, right? So, like, what you just said about how it just felt so bleak and, like, um, so different than a lot of what we've seen so far, that's kind of what they're going for this season. So, things are going to get dark, which will be interesting because up until this point in the first four seasons it was very much your like run-of-the-mill sci-fi drama you could watch one episode and not watch the next and really not miss much there are overarching plots but it is still story of the week and it there doesn't feel like any real consequential behavior from characters and this episode kind of marks the beginning of that changing (laughs) <laughs> i called you did you did um so Those darn ass guards so here tech. here is where shit is gonna get real um and i don't necessarily know that it's gonna get real in the way you think it is i think it's great that um robert cooper literally said like you will not believe the endings nothing is gonna turn out the way you think it's gonna turn out um i know some things that are coming up this season that um I cannot wait to see how you react to them. There, there's some big ones coming. Um, Yay. But, but um, before we get into what's coming, who do you want to punch? You know, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I think I want to punch Malachus just because I don't really fault anyone. Even Malikus to an extent, I don't really fall. Like, I would also be upset. You fault him because he fucking blew up the rocket. Right. Yeah. But, like, for his, like, attitude or whatever. Like, yeah. You know, it is what it is. 
But the rest of them, like, all really did do what they thought was best. Mm-hmm. And in the end, everyone was fine. So, well, except, like, the two S- SG members that died. But, like, yeah. everyone else was fine. Right. So, like, I guess Malicus is the one I'm going to punch. That's fair. Um, I'm going to punch Jack. Not because he wasn't right, but because he really was not in control of himself this episode. And um, you are not going to win any friends by jumping on their leader and punching him in the face, even if he deserves it. Correct. So, um, who is your MVP? Again, (laughs) I don't know. Um, So I think I'm going to go with Sam. Okay. Simply because she scienced really well. um, And she's like the only thing that made me laugh at all this episode whenever she talked about the one percent everything yeah. else was just like that's baseline. that's fair um i'm going to give it to dr mclaren um because he was just a sweet man who was doing science and was going to get recognized for his life goals even if it was something that other people wouldn't understand and he deserved that no one else that's in this fair. entire episode deserved anything nice ever um it was such a strange it was it was it was fucking bleak like that's really the only way there is to describe it is it was bleak and it is a little disconcerting to know that that is the way we're trending and it's episode five Mm -hmm. um next week um do you know anything about next week's episode? Okay, well, I just don't know. Last week you were spoiled by the Amazon uh, thumbnail. I didn't know if you had I the same. Had the same. Um, I think I saw the thumbnail, but I didn't pay attention to it, so I don't. I think okay. I saw Sam. I mean, like I, <laughs> it, it is a little bit harder to miss an Asgard Asgard. than it is to miss a person (laughs) that you could just be like, oh, that's a person. I don't have to look close enough to know whose face it is. Um, So I will tell you my spoiler for next week is that um, we are bringing back a a character who is important and you probably thought we were never going to see again. Oh my goodness. Now I'm going to guess who it is. (sighs) Is it Sharae's dad? Shari's dad. What is his name? Uh, Kasuf. I bet it's Kasuf. He Uh didn't die yet, right? No. Okay, then it's him. That's what I'm guessing. That's all right. I will neither confirm nor deny if you guess at all. Um, so yeah, so uh, stay tuned to next week to find out if Courtney is right about who um is going to be in the next episode. Um, in the meantime, if you have thoughts, theories, um, additional scientific things that were incorrect in this episode um if you have thoughts on jack's journey with religion or if you um would like to i had somewhere where i was going with what i just was going to ask for but i don't I was oh if you would like to comment if you would like to comment on um the bleakness of the show and mm-hmm. what you what you want to see from a darker stargate you can email us at deathandaliens at gmail.com or follow us and reach out to us on all of the social media at death and aliens you can follow me personally at e-n-k-a-y underscore superstar and you can find me at cecloud13 and with that we will see you next week i think this episode was really way too long
It was a million hours long. Bye.